Thank you for joining New Life Fellowship Podcast today. We are a church desiring to expand the kingdom of God by making disciples. We pray that this message inspires you, build your faith, and hope that it will give you perspective to see that our God is moving in your life. Hope you enjoyed the message. Well, hey, good morning, New Life Fellowship. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Eric No. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and just have the privilege of giving you God's word today. Uh, well, today we're finishing off uh, this series called Pandemic Playlist, where we're uh, studying select psalms uh, throughout the book of Psalms to really encourage you during this uh, pandemic season. And uh, we come to this final psalm, uh, Psalm 145. It's actually the last psalm that King David writes in this book. And um, there are five additional psalms, but these last five psalms are actually psalms of praise. They're not psalms of lament. They're not psalms of darkness or um, disturbance. They're really psalms of praise. And so we're going to be studying that today. Uh, next week, however, we're going to be starting a brand new sermon series, and I'm pretty excited about this as well. We're starting a new series called Short Stories by Jesus. And uh, what we're going to be doing in that series is studying uh, about 12 select parables that Jesus told during his ministry, uh, primarily found in the Gospel of Luke, but sometimes elsewhere. But primarily in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we find these parables, and we want to be able to share these parables with you because they give us insight into the kingdom of God and who Jesus really is. And so please uh, stay tuned for that next week. I'll kick that sermon series off next week. So please join us next week if you're interested or have been interested at all in the parables of Jesus. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our passage for today for Psalm 145. If you have your Bibles, please open up there with us. Uh, I have three points as I normally do. Uh, the first point is wasting God's plan. It's called wasting God's plan. Uh, the second point is called declaring uh, God's works, declaring God's works. And then thirdly, we'll be talking about uh, praising God's goodness, praising God's goodness. Uh, so go ahead and uh, rise with me if you're able to. We'll read this passage together. At the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God, I'll pray and then I'll seat you after the reading of the scripture passage. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. And, uh, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. 
He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm. We're thankful for this praise. We're thankful for all that you've done for us. And Lord, we pray, God, that as we praise you, as we lift you up on high by really listening to your words, would your Holy Spirit help us to make these words alive in our hearts today, Lord. We need your help. We are weak. You are strong. Lord, we are weak. You are powerful. And we need your help right now. Help us to listen. Help us to change. Help us to transform. Help us to come alive once again. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated right there at home. Well, let's dive into our first point uh, for today, uh, wasting God's plan. Now, I don't know about you, but during this pandemic season, uh, my appetite and my diet has actually changed quite significantly. Uh, Before this pandemic, I would eat out at restaurants. I loved eating out. I loved eating uh, good food at good restaurants. And I loved really dining and doing those types of things. But after that pandemic kind of hit and occurred, uh, you know, we found ourselves eating at home a lot more. Um, Not only because uh, restaurants aren't open, but it was also a good way for us to save money as a family. And so we started cooking at home, really doing those things. So we go out grocery shopping, we buy tons and tons of food, fill up our refrigerator. But what I eventually found happening was I wouldn't eat the foods that I desired. I actually began eating food out of our refrigerator based on their expiration date. (laughs) I would literally check the labels and see what, what foods would expire first and I would eat them in the order of expiration. And the reason why is because I hate, I absolutely hate wasting food. I mean, wasting food literally hurts my heart. It does. Like if I'm throwing away, like I cry before I throw away food. That's how much I hate it. Because it literally feels like I'm throwing money away into the trash can. That's what it feels like to me. And so I feel like I'm wasting this really, really great, great thing. And in fact, sometimes as I'm throwing away this food, sometimes I'll say, that's such a waste. Right? That's a phrase that we use all the time. That's such a waste. And when we use this phrase, what we're saying is something like this. Whenever something treasured is treated as trash. Where we're basically saying something treasured is treated as trash. So for example, when good food goes uneaten and is thrown away, we say that's such a waste because the treasure, which is the good food, is treated as trash. It's wasted. Or another example, right? Uh, When someone tall uh, doesn't play basketball, uh, some of us in the basketball community will say that's such a waste. Why? Because their height, is, which is a treasure in basketball, is going unused and so thus kind of treated as trash. Right? Or when you see a really smart kid who squanders their life, their brilliance on video games or on drugs or on frivolous things, you, you, you say that's such a waste. Why? Because the kid's smarts, their brilliance is this treasure that's ultimately being treated as trash. Now, why am I talking about this? Do not, please do not waste this pandemic. Do not throw away this pandemic. Do not treat this treasure as trash. Look, I'm not downplaying the severity and the tragedy of this pandemic, the the amount of lives that were lost and will continue to be lost uh, as this pandemic continues on, the amount of suffering that has occurred because of this virus, uh, the, the economic instability, all the jobs that were lost. I'm not downplaying any of that stuff. And yet really, there are only two ways that you can view this season. You can see this pandemic as a heap of trash just to get through, just to blow past, or you can treat this pandemic as a treasure and actually steward it wisely. Because any sort of pain and suffering, 
any sort of pain and suffering can be used to grow and actually heal you. So although pain is unwanted in our lives, it can actually be used to grow and heal you as a person. Uh, you know, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, uh, he, in one of his sermons, he uses this illustration, and I'd like to borrow it from him. He says, like, imagine where right, you have this surgeon, and the surgeon has his knife. His knife can actually either harm you, or it can actually heal you, depending on what you choose. You, if you choose to move around and to, to start doing all these sorts of things, well, the, that surgeon's knife can actually hurt you, can harm you. But conversely, if you stay still and you allow the surgeon to do what he planned on you, that same pain can actually bring tremendous healing and growth. Look, we can't go back in time and undo this season. I really wish we could with all of my might. I wish I could go back in a time machine and warn all the politicians, warn the governments, warn everyone, look, this coming pandemic, but we can't. That's not a luxury we have. There's no such thing as a time machine. All we have is the present and all we have is the future. And all we have is a choice. Do we waste this suffering and gain nothing from all of this pain? Or do we steward this season well and allow God to use this season as He wants to, to really heal us and to guide us to worship Him? We can already see God redeeming parts of this pandemic in our very own lives by the things that He has been shaping and teaching in us. For example, parents, I bet you this pandemic has slowed you down and given you so much time to spend with your kids. I know it has for me. You know, I, before this pandemic, I was out at least two nights a week due to ministry. But since this lockdown, I've been home every single night, cooking dinner every single night for my family. And yet, God has been revealing to me my impatience. I get angry at my kids. I get angry at my wife. And, and He reveals to me my lack of kindness. And He's been revealing to me and teaching me how to be more patient and more kind. God has taught us to be more content during this season. It's forced you not to look to your travel, shopping, nice restaurants, clubs, bars, etc. To, uh, to, to fulfill you or to be satisfied. God has been teaching you to be content exactly where you are. Uh, before, you were too busy to read the Word, but now God slowed you down. He gave you so much time, and now He's actually given you time to spend with Him. Uh, bef uh, God has been teaching you to manage your finances better. For many of you, you were caught off guard by this pandemic. You were caught off guard. You didn't have a savings because why? You had so much debt. And yet this pandemic revealed to you, God revealed to you that you were spending way too much and not saving enough. And this pandemic revealed your unhealthy spending habits. And now God is teaching you to manage your finances better. God has been growing your patience. God has been growing your self-control. God has been growing your kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, all this stuff. And in addition, look, not just your personal lives. Let's take a step back and look at what God has been doing, His glorious and wonderful work in the life of our church, New Life Fellowship, as a body of believers. Let's, let's look at that for a second. Before this pandemic, our church, New Life Fellowship, was only doing one missional local outreach here in the state of Washington. Only one. And that was called Shower to the People, and it's a great ministry. We had to discontinue it for some time uh, uh, during this pandemic season, but when it's open again, we're going to go ahead and do it again. But... That was the only thing we did. But in the last two and a half months, we've done more for our local community than we've ever done in the last several years. 
We've, we've donated over 2,100 pounds of food to the local food banks, and we will be, we will be donating more in the future. Uh, we have purchased and donated 2,000 KN95 masks, and we've donated to both medical uh, professionals in our community and also to the wider community. We've had church members go out to local businesses to actually pass out these masks, and they've actually attached to these masks John 3.16 along with our church information. And they've not only been passing out these gifts, but they've been passing out the Word of God itself. In addition, We've provided care packages and finances to helping the senior citizens of our community. We've supported Life Care Center and uh, the first ever nursing home, home to actually get hit by this pandemic in our entire nation. We've also uh, scheduled a blood donation drive in July for all of those who want to donate blood because there is a blood shortage. Moreover, we've been able to resource and equip a number of churches to do live stream services at the very beginning of this pandemic. In addition to that, when we shut down, other Korean American churches actually looked to us because if you remember, Washington was the first to get hit. But churches all over the nation started looking to us as an example because we actually shut down before the governor ever gave us orders to shut down. We did this because we wanted to protect our people. And churches followed in suit. Our children's ministry has become wildly distributed all over the globe. We've been ministering to host the children that don't belong to our church all around the globe. Missionaries' kids have been able to worship God using our YouTube uh, videos that our children's ministry puts out. In addition, we've been supplying children's ministry to smaller churches that don't have the resources to put on such a well-designed children's program. We are praying more than ever as a community with three prayer services now. One on Wednesdays at 1 p.m., one at Saturdays at 7 a.m., and one on Sundays at 8.20 a.m. We are praying more than ever, and I invite you to join us. Please do. In addition, we've been hearing many, many stories of our congregation members developing relationships with their neighbors, their coworkers, and then actually evangelizing and sharing the good news of Jesus with them. Moreover, we have heard of individual members making difficult, difficult sacrifices in order to be generous during this difficult season. And then on top of all of this goodness, we've heard numerous stories of community groups who have been serving at local food banks. They've been serving each other, and they've been doing much, much more. And you know what I, I find absolutely tragic is there are some pastors out there who are asking, when can we go back to normal? When can we go back to normal? And in my opinion, I'm like, I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want to go back to normal. If normal was doing one community outreach and now the new normal is doing all of this outreach, I'd rather stay where we are. I don't want to go back to normal. Because you know why? It would be such a waste. It would be such a waste if after this pandemic is over, we go right back to normal. It would be such a waste if all the works of God during this season were simply forgotten. That would be such a waste of all the pain we had to endure as a, as, a, as a nation. That would be such a waste of the surgery God was doing on our hearts during this season. So look, this leads us to our second point, declaring God's works. Look, how do we not waste this season? How do we not waste it? Well, let's look at our psalm, Psalm uh, 145. Look at me at verses 4 and 5. Look at what King David says. One generation shall commend, underline shall commend, your works to another. And shall declare, underline shall declare, your mighty acts. 
on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Underline, I will meditate. See, the psalm was written by King David to be passed from one generation to the next. In fact, King David wrote this psalm in the form of an acrostic. And we can't see this in the original, uh, in the English translation, but we can actually see this in the Hebrew in its original context. See, if you were read to read this in its original Hebrew context, what you'd see is that the beginning of every line of this psalm actually begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In other words, it was written in alphabetical order. And one of the reasons why poets and songwriters and people like King David would do this is so that they would make this psalm more memorable. And it's because King David wants us to remember the works of God. He writes a song to constantly help us to remember the works of God in our lives. In fact, that's what good Jews would do. Psalm 145 was, was oftentimes memorized by the Jewish community. In fact, they still do it today. They would commend it to memory. Why? Because it is so easy to forget what God has done for you. It is so easy to forget what God has done for you. This is why David says to commend them to your kids. Talk about these things to your kids. Declare them. Praise them. Don't forget it. Meditate on it because you'll forget. You know what I think is so funny about us human beings? Look, we have a solid, solid memory when it comes to the way people have wronged us. But we have a very shaky, unstable memory when it comes to the ways people have actually treated us well. And look, look no further than your marriages or look no further than relationships. If you're married or if you're in a relationship, you know this very, very well. You have photographic memory when it comes to all the things your spouse has done wrong to you. You remember the specific date, the specific time. You remember what they were wearing. You remember the look on their face. You remember the exact setting that you were in. You have photographic memory of all the ways they've wronged you. But when it comes to the ways your spouse or your significant other has treated you wrongly, you're like 10 second Tom from 51st Dates. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce to you our most distinguished clinical subject, Tom. Hi, I'm Tom. Henry. Marlon. Doug. Lucy. Hi. Oh, those are cool flip-flops. Where'd you get them? You like those? It's an interesting story. I was over in the North Door the other day. Hi, I'm I... Tom. Huh? Uh, Henry. Hi. Marlon. Tom lost part of his brain in a hunting accident. His memory only lasts 10 seconds. We're like 10 second Tom when it comes to the good things that people have done for us. And here's the thing, we do the same exact thing to God. We remember all of the unanswered prayers, and I put that in quotations because God answers all of our prayers, just not in the way that you think. Or we, we remember all the ways God has let us down. And again, that's in quotations because I have, you know, God never lets us down. We just don't like the way that he does certain things, but we, he's never let us down. But then we don't remember all the ways God has blessed us. We forget so easily. See, we have something called, if I had to diagnose this as a spiritual doctor, I'd say we have something called spiritual amnesia. It's like after God does something amazing, we just forget, and it's real. In, in fact, did you know that there's an entire book of the Bible devoted to the spiritual amnesia? It's called the book of Judges, and we actually studied it together as a church. For four weeks, we studied the book of Judges. And do you remember what the book of Judges is all about? It's all about the Israelites sinning, God punishes them, then God saves them, He blesses them, He does this amazing work in their life, He says, don't forget, and then guess what? They forget. And then they sin, and then they punish, and then God has to save them again. And God says, don't forget what I did for you. And then the Israelites forget, 
and then they sin, and then they're punished, and then God saves them again, and God says, don't forget. And then they do it again and again and again and again. They keep doing it. Why? Because you keep forgetting. And it would be such a shame if all the things God is doing in you today went to nothing. And you just forgot about all the wonderful things God is doing, and we just went back to normal. Look, it is so hard to build. It is so easy to delete. It is so hard to build. It is so easy to destroy. You know, it's one of my greatest fears. One of my greatest fears is actually losing all of my archives of sermons that I have on my computer. I've been writing sermons for the last decade, and I have them all saved in Word documents on my computer. But you know what's crazy is I could just literally drag that folder into the trash bin, put it in the trash, and then hit empty trash, and all of my sermons would be gone. It took me a decade to write pages and pages and pages. You know, sometimes my pages, some sermons are actually 13 pages long. If I, if I preach every Sunday for 10, I mean, do you see how much work goes into building? But then in a second, I could delete all of them. Look, for some of you, you've been building your business, you've been building it, building it, building, and then this microscopic virus that you can't even see goes ahead and ends your business completely within a span of months. You could erect a building. It takes years and years to erect a building and it just takes a few minutes to blow it up to pieces. It's so hard to build, it's so easy to delete. And it would be such a waste if all this building that God is doing in your life right now, months of suffering, months of pain, God building, 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 healing, 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 and then just delete it from your memory, just like that after this is over. Hey, you just forget, you just forget it all. It would be such a waste if all this building that God is doing in your life right now were just deleted from your memory. Look, this is why David says again, and I'll read verses four and five again. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Look, you know who did this well in my life, in my personal life? It's actually my father. My father would commend the works of the Lord to me constantly. In fact, he would do it so much that it would oftentimes annoy me because he was constantly doing it. And in fact, I, I regret this, but I would tune him out at times because he would commend the works of the Lord to me so much. See, I actually know my father's testimony so well because he's actually told me his testimony at least 20 times. On January 1st, 2000, January 1st, 2000, his life was forever changed. Uh, my dad was not a Christian. Uh, my mom, um, myself, and my older brother had been praying for my dad for years and years and years to become a Christian. Uh, and one day, uh, he got really, really sick. He was an avid smoker. There was something really wrong with him. He went to the emergency room. Doctors couldn't figure out what it was. They sent him home. He comes home. The next day, he falls asleep. He wakes up, and he's healed. He wakes up, and all of a sudden, the truths that my mom had been preaching to him, the truths of God all of a sudden came alive to him. He was healed. He quit smoking that day. And, and, all, and all of a sudden, all the things that my mom and him used to fight about, for example, they used to fight about tithing. My dad thought tithing was stupid. He was like, why would you do that? God doesn't exist. You shouldn't give him money. My dad would argue with my mom, let's not go to church. God's not real. Let's not go to church. All of a sudden, in one day, my dad's world was flipped upside down. He wanted to tithe. He wanted to worship. He wanted to go to church. He wanted to pray. He wanted to read the Bible. 
And my dad would tell me this story over and over and over, and he would be praising God as he tells me this story. In fact, for the next 20 years, my dad has been a Christian now for 20 years. For the last 20 years or so, my dad tells me story after story after story of God's goodness. He always comes to me and tells me, hey, Eric, you know what God is doing in my life? Hey, Eric, you know what God answered my prayer? I've been praying for this. Hey, you know how God has been using me? I write scripture verses, and I pass them out to all of my, uh, my clients. I, I do all... My dad cannot stop talking about his faith to me. And again, so much so, and you can ask my dad this, so much so that sometimes I tune him out. He talks so much about it. My dad can go on and on and on and on. Why? Because my dad doesn't want to forget. My dad knows how good Jesus is, and he does not want to forget. Look, what do you talk about? What do you talk about? Do you talk to your kids about how they should get good grades, make lots of money in the future? Or do you tell them the works of your Heavenly Father in your life? Do you talk to your coworkers about sports? Or do you proclaim the greatness of the Lord in your life? Do you talk to your friends about what they're gonna eat and about what TV show they should watch? Or do you tell them about what you've observed about God's heavenly goodness in your life? Do you declare your love for certain restaurants or foods or do you declare your love for your Father in heaven? What do you talk about? Because what you talk about is what you love. And in fact, that's what King David is trying to get us to do in this entire psalm. He's trying to get us to just talk about God. Look again at at the psalm. In, In the first three verses, King David uses these three words, three different words for essentially the same thing. He uses the word extol, bless, and praise. You can underline those words. Extol, bless, and praise God. But these are actually three different words for the word praise. And basically, he's just emphatic. He's like, look, praise God, praise God, praise God. And then in verse 10, in verse 10, he says, your saints shall bless you. In verse 11, he says, they shall speak of your glory. In verse 12, he says, to make known to the children of man. He's saying, look, talk about him. Talk about him. Praise him. Talk about him. Make him everything. That's all that should be on your lips. He's just talking, talking, talking about who God is, commending God, praising God, declaring God's works. And then look at the very end of the psalm in verses 14 to 20. He says, he says all the ways, he actually declares, he actually does what he says, he declares all the ways that the Lord has been good to him. All the ways that the Lord has been working on his behalf. Talk about God, praise him, do not forget what God has done in this season. This leads us to our third point, praising God's goodness. Here's an objection that I I thought of as I was writing my sermon. You know, Eric, that's great and all. But you know, right now, to be honest with you, there's, there's nothing that I can praise God in this season for. I can't seem to find anything that he's good that he's done for me in this time. I'm really trying. I'm really trying, but, but he stripped away my business. He stripped away my loved ones. I mean, how can you say, I, I can't find anything good in my life in this season right now. And I know that this time is tremendously difficult, but here's the thing about praise that many Christians don't know, and maybe you don't know. Praise is actually not simply thanking God for what he's done for you. Did you know that? Praise is not simply thanking God for what he's done for you. Praise is all about God and his character. It's not about what God has done. It's about who God is, in other words. In fact, if you look at the psalm again, notice David doesn't praise God because God gave him a raise or promotion or because God did something for him. If you actually look very carefully at the psalm, David is praising God for his works and deeds, not because of what it's done for him, but because those works and deeds actually point to God. You see that? 
David doesn't praise God for his works and deeds because of what it's done for him. He's actually praising God for the works and deeds because they actually point back to God, his character, his goodness. Let, let me give you an illustration of this, okay? Uh, imagine we're going to Vancouver, Canada on a road trip, and I get on the I-5, I'm heading up north, and I see this sign that says, Vancouver, Canada, 100 miles away, and I pull over, and I stop at that sign, and I said, well, hey folks, we're here at Vancouver, Canada. You would look at me and be like, hey, you're out of your mind. We're not in Vancouver, Canada. This is merely a sign pointing to Vancouver, Canada. And in the same way, this is what God's works and deeds are. They're merely signs to His goodness. They're merely signs to point to His character. And yet what we do with praise and worship is we park at the sign and we stop there and we say, oh, uh, yeah, we, this is what praise is. We thank Him for this thing because of what it's done for me. Look at verse 6 and 7 again. Look at verse 6 and 7, sorry. He says this, They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. You see the they, that, that, that pronoun they, you can underline that. And, and you see what he's saying is they is the works, the deeds of God's. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. They shall put forth your fame of abundant goodness. You see, the works actually point to the character of God. This is what praise is all about. You can actually praise God even though he does nothing for you. Even though you find nothing, you can remind yourself of God's goodness even though it's there or not. Let me give you yet another illustration of this, okay? Let's just say Michael Jordan walks into your home, okay? Unannounced. And if, especially if you're a sports fan, you would go crazy. You'd be like, oh my gosh, Michael Jordan's in my home. And you would want to talk to him. You'd offer him chips, cookies, whatever's in your house. You'd treat him with such hospitality, would you not? I mean, let's be real. You'd treat him with tremendous, tremendous hospitalities. And, and yet his deeds and his works did nothing to benefit your life. All his dunks, his shots, his dribbles, his works and deeds merely point to the fact that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time and that's why you praise Michael Jordan. That's why you would offer him stuff. And look, look in, in that example, right, Michael Jordan would actually walk into your home and let's just say he does eat your cookies. He does eat your chips. You cook him a meal and he does eat all of those things. Even though Michael Jordan took things from you, you'd still praise him. Why? Because you got to serve him because, he, because of who he is not because of what he's done for you. You would praise, and, and all of his works and deeds would point merely to the character of who Michael Jordan is. And you see, in the same way, this is what God does. God is saying, look, my works and deeds are not simply meant to benefit you and to, to make you think that this is all about you. No, my works and deeds actually point back to me, to my greatness, to my goodness, to my awesomeness. See, we are such selfish creatures that we've turned praise, which is supposed to be outward focused, which is all supposed to be about God, into the selfish practice of what, God, what have you done for me lately, huh? What have you done for me? God, what have you done for me lately, huh? And if you don't do anything for me lately, then, then I withhold my praise from you. Look, how selfish of you. He's the creator, sustainer of the universe. He made the world with his hands. He breathed life into your body. He's not just some Joe Schmo walking around. He's the God of the universe. And you praise and worship him, not because of what he's done, but because of who he is. See, this is the thing we forget. Even when Jesus came in bodily form, Jesus just wasn't here to simply give you something. Did you know that? Of course, Jesus' main purpose was to die on a sins for your uh, die on a cross for your sins, 
But Jesus was not merely here to give us a ticket to heaven so that we could be benefited. Jesus Christ tells us in the Gospel of John that he came to reveal the Father. This is why in the Gospel of John he says this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's revealing the Father to us. He says, look, I only do what my Father does. Why? Because Jesus is revealing the Father over and over and over again. Jesus is revealing the character of God so that we can worship God. And Jesus ultimately revealed the Father by simply dying on a cross for our sins. The primary reason for Jesus dying on a cross was to save you of your sins, but was also to reveal the Father's character to you. That we don't worship a God who's powerful and stingy. We worship a God who has power, but use that power to serve you, to minister to you, to save you, and to die for you. That's the character of God. That's the character of our Father. See, when we sinned, we deserve nothing but the wages of sin, which is death, eternal death. But because of Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross, we can have eternal life and be with the Father forever. This is what his works reveal about his character, that Jesus is not stingy, that Jesus is not uh, unkind, that he's not simply just a wrathful God, but he is a loving, kind, serving Father who loves you, who dies on a cross for you. And look, if you're not a Christian here today, I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us. And if you want to receive Jesus' work upon the cross for you, all you have to do, all you have to do, you don't have to go out and start doing charitable things. You don't even have to change yourself quite yet, although that will come. All you have to do, friend, is this. Believe upon the name of Jesus. Believe that Jesus does indeed reveal the Father. Believe that Jesus is God. Believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man and that he loves you and that he died on a cross for your sins. And if you believe on him, the scriptures tell us that he will wash away all of your sins, that he will give you a righteousness that is not your own so that when you stand before the Father, that God himself on judgment day will not see all of your sins, but he will see the works of Jesus Christ himself that you will be entered into heaven itself with open arms. Why? Because God sees the work of Jesus placed upon you. And if you believe this today, and if the Holy Spirit is making this truth alive in your hearts, I want you to click on that live prayer button. I've been announcing this for a few weeks now. Maybe every week you're kind of hesitant to click on that live prayer button. Please, friend, do it today. We want to start walking with you. You can't do this Christian thing alone. I know you think you can. I know you think, oh, I can just do this internet thing on my own. Don't do it alone. Click on that live prayer button. Start talking to a pastor. We want to walk with you. We want to give you resources. We want to help you as you begin this journey with Jesus Christ. Friends, I invite you into a relationship with him, and I pray, and I pray that you begin praising Jesus for all of his goodness, for all of his mercy. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much, not because of all the things that you've done for us, but because of all the things that you've done for us, God, actually reveal who you are. And so, God, I praise your name for who you are. I praise your name for who you are, Lord. You are awesome. You are glorious. You are mighty. You are everlasting to everlasting. You are all-powerful, and yet, God, you are kind and merciful and you sacrificed your very own life on a cross for us. And Lord, we praise you, not simply because of our salvation, but because, God, that reminds us once again how kind and generous you really are. And Lord, I pray, God, for all those, God, who believe today. 
I pray for their souls, God, that you would make this truth alive in their hearts more than ever. I pray that the Holy Spirit would make this truth alive in their hearts more than ever. I pray that they would surrender their lives unto you, Lord. And I pray that they would click that live prayer button so we can start walking with them today. Lord, would you help them? Would you give them the strength, God, to humble themselves and to surrender to you and to you alone? Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray this all in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.